Today on Psalm Sketches, we'll be taking a look at Psalm 24, a Psalm of David. Uh, first, let's begin with a musical reflection on this Psalm. It's been said that nine-tenths of the law has to do with possession. And we live in a society where property is extremely important. It's one of the, the most fundamental rights in a democracy that certain uh, properties, certain ideas, certain objects and materials and, and finances can belong to a person and no one else can touch those things. We take that for granted, but, but when we Look around the world today, it is not always the philosophy of government, of society, of family that, that, uh, that what you own belongs to you. And so uh, we can be very defensive uh, when it comes to discussing what belongs to us. And in this poem, uh, David starts with a famous phrase, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. And I think that is the foundation for the rest of the poem out of that understanding that all things are, are, the, um, are the property and, and under the prerogative of God's authority. Uh, then we begin to, I think, understand life in a more wholesome and holy way, a way that actually can give us a lot of freedom, personal freedom, 
and freedom as a society as well, if applied more broadly. Let me begin by reading the poem. I'm going to read it today out of the New Living Translation, which is a translation that I often like to use. Um, I think it's one of the more readable translations. Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. For he laid the earth's foundation on the seas and built it on the ocean depths. Who may climb the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Only those whose hands and hearts are pure, who do not worship idols and never tell lies. They will receive the Lord's blessing and have a right relationship with God their Savior. Such people may seek you and worship in your presence, O God of Jacob. Open up ancient gates, open up ancient doors, and let the King of glory enter. Who is the King of glory, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord invisible, invincible in battle? Open up ancient gates, open up ancient doors, and let the King of glory enter. Who is the King of glory, the Lord of heaven's armies? He is the King of glory. So the ending of the poem is an invitation to God, the King of glory, to enter into uh, the presence of his people, into his city. Uh, obviously, a king coming into a city uh, is, is a sign of the king taking possession of what is his. Uh, today, uh, the world is not filled with as many prominent monarchies, but that is kind of the idea that if, if you're king and queen, everything belongs to you. The people belong to you. The resources can be used at, at will by the monarch, by the ruler, uh, over uh, whatever property belongs to him or her. And I think uh, this goes back to the beginning of the poem where David first discusses uh, the reality that God is sovereign over all creation and that he is, in a sense, the great proprietor of the whole universe. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all its people belong to him. Now, for most of us, I think that's a hard thing to embrace, uh, that the earth is the Lord's and not ours. Okay? We're comfortable with the idea that the world is apportioned out to the billions of people here. Everybody owns a little piece of it. Everyone has some rights over their own life and their own uh, choice of occupation, the choice of who to marry, uh, the choice to fulfill their dreams, and of course, fundamental to American liberty is the idea of pursuing your own happiness. But this poem by David sort of strikes out at that philosophy. Not that we don't own property, but that underneath those rights, everything belongs to God. And I think one of the reasons that the world is so broken is that if we go to 1 John, uh, the Apostle John talks about how the world, the brokenness of the world has to do with the craving of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boasting of what people have and what they do. Uh, when it says, do not love the world in 1 John 2, he's not saying don't love people or don't love the things inside of the world, the beauty of nature, um, technology, the luxuries of living in a, in a well-developed society. These are not the things that he's rejecting. He's saying that in the world, the disease that affects everything around us, our politics, our schools, uh, even our families and our local communities, is an obsession with pursuing my own property and using my own property and other people's property in a way that uh, does not glorify God. The things that even belong to us don't ultimately belong to us within a biblical understanding. 
that we have to have rights in society. It protects our property, it protects justice. But ultimately beneath justice is the understanding that all we are belongs to God. This is why I think a lot of believers are unhappy. They don't understand that what they think they own and what they think they are entitled to, whether um, a solid family, security from the, the ravages of war or suffering or sickness, uh, they think they deserve or are entitled to a government that always protects their rights. All these are positive things, but we don't ultimately have control over these things. They're either given to us by God and in some cases taken away from us by God. And David, as a, as a beautiful, uh, excellent worshiper of God, begins this poem with the starting point of recognizing that the, the earth is the Lord's. Not just in a broad, abstract way, but everything on this world Everything, whether person or property or land or civilizations, they all belong to God. And to recognize that fact uh, changes the way we look at our lives. We begin, I think, to look at God a little differently, with more reverence. Because what we have, though we might have worked hard to earn it, can be taken away by God or given back to us by God. Um, the blessings that we have are ultimately not our own. They're, they're things we steward under God's providence. Um, when we think about our money that way, it really alters the way we use it. Uh, sometimes I like to remind myself when I'm praying or, or meditating on the scriptures, uh, I invite the Lord to instill in me a, a, an abiding awareness that what I have is not mine. Uh, I can look at my bank accounts, my 401k, and say these things are mine, but they're not really mine. They are the Lord's. I'm simply a steward or manager of these things. Uh, when we look at our country, we can say, this country is mine. And that's one of the biggest dangers, I think, politically. This country belongs to me. This is why we separate into teams politically and fight each other, uh, sometimes tooth and nail using abusive language, because this is my country. It belongs to me, and it will be shaped the way I want. Rather than realizing we're just one voice and one vote in a sea of people with differing opinions and backgrounds. And so... What we look at around us, our family, this family is mine. My kids will do what I want them to do. And again, in some senses, in, in, in a temporary or temporal sense, what we have, what belongs to us, really does belong to us. But beneath that, again, uh, is the deeper understanding that everything that belongs to me temporally ultimately belongs to God. Throughout the Old Testament are echoes of this idea in Ecclesiastes. Uh, we realize uh, through the wisdom of that teacher that everything we own will one day be passed along from us to someone else. Every dollar in our possession will someday belong to someone else. And in light of that, we should use what we have to glorify God, not to glorify ourselves. I think that uh, even down to the level of not only our families and our country, but down to the level of our own individual thoughts, our minds, they don't belong to us. We have freedom to express and to think the way we want to, but ultimately these things belong to God. The way I think, my patterns of thinking, should ultimately be submitted to the way God wants to order my thinking. But these are hard things to do, to, to reign in our thinking, uh, to view our, our families, our homes, our finances, our, our, our role at our, our place of employment, even our country and our world as though they don't really belong to us. We're a steward of a little piece of the world. Uh, and that's an important role to play, but these things don't belong to us. But I think in recognizing that there's a freedom. That freedom, though, is something we reject. Why is it so hard for us to embrace it? 
I think for me, it's hard to embrace because I was raised to think that my value comes from what I produce out of what I have. Uh, Spiritually, Jesus taught that we do have talents, we have gifts, we have uh, prerogatives within our lives uh, to do what is right and to make much of what God has given us. But even within that understanding is, is, is a deeper realization that those talents don't belong to us. That's why we're, we are accountable to make much of them. At the end of the day, we give back from what we have to God who gave us talents, abilities, insight, knowledge, finances. Uh, and as long as I think we cling, like I often do, to the idea that these things are mine and my worth comes from what I make of them, uh, like I'm uh, you know, charging up a bank account, filling it up with credit to me, uh, that we tend to never be satisfied. And I'm not just talking about greed here, like not being satisfied with the amount of money we have because we could always make more, uh, or the amount of uh, love we get from people because we could always get more or have more respect from people. I'm talking about simply a sense that I am, before God, the owner of, uh, the proprietor of my own righteousness. That if I do enough good things, those good things become my property. And because they're my property, then I can offer them to God uh, in exchange for something. When in reality, if I belong to God and my faculties belong to God, my behavior belongs to God, really, when I do the right thing, I am simply acknowledging that I'm doing what the person who owns me has already demanded. This is why in the New Testament, Paul uses imagery, especially in Romans, of slavery. Though slavery is such a a horrendous, horrendous institution when practiced by one man or woman against another, when it is practiced by God toward us, it is really uh, the most wholesome kind of slavery there is. We ultimately belong to God. And therefore, it's, it's not slavery at all, but Paul describes it as slavery. We belong to Christ. We are in Christ. We are his property now. We are redeemed by him. Even in that is the notion of us being objects purchased back or bought back by God. And so if we look at ourselves that way, there is no righteousness to cling to. God is pleased when we obey him in faith, but obeying him in faith is simply doing what he originally made us to do, and that is to glorify the one who created us and therefore owns us. And that brings us back to David's words. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. If that's the case, as hard as it may be to get that through our heads, how do we respond? Well, let me go back to the end of the poem. Verse seven says, open up ancient gates, open up ancient doors and let the king of glory enter. How do we live this way as though all our property and all our faculties, our intelligence, our finances, our creativity, all of it belongs to God and is simply an expression, hopefully, of what he desires from us. In this, we do bring glory to God, but it's hard to do because it's much easier to think that everything we do is a way of investing back into our own authority, our own sovereignty over our lives and our possessions. But David's response, I think, at the end, and and the best way for him to think of it is as a king, is to say, open up the doors and let the king in. Remember, David was the king. I don't know if he wrote the psalm as king or not, but David, if we assume that he is the king, it's interesting he's inviting the king of glory in. He's saying, I am the king, but I'm not the king. I am the temporal king, He is the king of glory. God should be the one who reigns. What a powerful thing for a king to say, I'm not really the king. 
I'm only in the king insofar as I steward uh, this kingdom that God has given me. But God is my king. Uh, David understood this concept and realized he had to invite the other king in. And when we lay down our arms and lay down our rights to our property and invite someone into our lives, that is the truest and most powerful gift I think we can offer God. And that is something you have to do routinely. I think, I, I know for me, it's very hard, but I have to get up, you know, first thing in the morning and sometime very early in the day, invite God to be my king, to be my master, to be uh, what he already is, but which I need to acknowledge. And that is the sovereign and the creator and the proprietor over who I am, over what I pursue and chase in this life and over the way I treat other people. And finally, the way I, I, I practice stewardship over all that I have, not just money, but over the way I operate in my employment, as a, for me, that's as, as a teacher, um, the way I manage my classroom, the way I deal with conflicts with other employees. Do I recognize that God is sovereign over all of us? If I damage another person, then I'm, I'm damaging something that God owns. If I treat my students unfairly, I am treating unfairly something that God owns. If I destroy someone else's property, I'm destroying uh, something that not just that person, but God owns. And so I think if we, if we make a practice of inviting this perspective into our life each day, it takes meditation, it takes time in prayer, it takes earnestly seeking God's help to overcome the brokenness and selfishness that tends to orient our lives. But if we think this way and make a practice as David did of recognizing that the earth is the Lord's and everyone and everything inside of it, we will be able to worship and live with more freedom, with a truer and more powerful identity in the faith that we've embraced through Jesus. And uh, these are things that I think this psalm conveys to us uh, so richly. So take a look at Psalm 24. There's so much more to talk about looking at this psalm. I just tried to highlight the element of God's sovereignty today in this podcast. Thanks for listening. I hope it was a blessing to you. Uh, you can follow me at uh, Psalm Sketches on Twitter, or if you want to send a personal message, uh, you can do so not only through Twitter, but through Psalm Sketches at Gmail. And uh, I'd love to hear from you. Hope you have a wonderful day. Keep reading and studying and meditating on the Psalms.